Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to Talking Taste Buds. I'm Venetia Falconer and this is my podcast all about food and how it fits into our lives and well-being. Jack Munro is a campaigner, food writer and activist. Never one to shy away from political commentary, Jack is no stranger to the headlines. You may have read about the time where she successfully sued Katie Hopkins last year, but that is not why she's on this podcast. Her incredible blog, initially titled A Girl Called Jack, now renamed Cooking on a Bootstrap, is also the name of her latest book, which dedicates chapters to breads, breakfasts, a bag of pasta and a packet of rice, spuds and eat more veg. There are vegan, sweet and what Jack calls contraband dishes here, as well as nifty money-saving tips. Jack's recipes are affordable and creative and not just for those with fancy gadgets or premium ingredients. I absolutely loved meeting Jack and she has so much wisdom to share, not only on cooking on a budget, but also for mental health. I really hope you enjoy this interview. Here is Jack Munro on Talking Taste Buds. Jack Monroe, welcome to Talking Taste Buds. Hi. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. I've been very excited about this interview. So have I. So good. It's nice to know we're both excited. Yay! So I always start the show by asking people what they had for breakfast. And you mentioned that you've been non-stop eating today. So how did you break the fast this morning? I actually had um, meatballs for breakfast, but vegan ones. They were like aubergine and black bean with brown rice and parsley and like a vegan yogurt dressing with harissa. Um, because I ran out of my house this morning in a rush and didn't eat. Um, so I um, ran into Leon on the way here and basically was like, yes, I'll have the biggest box of food that you do. Um, and I did. How was it? It was great. It was exactly what I needed. I hoovered it up in seconds. Those vegan options at Leon are pretty, pretty swell. Yeah, they are. Really, they're really good, actually. I don't. I, I mean, I try to make my own lunch and stuff as much as possible. But when I'm on the go, they're a really good like little option absolutely so let's wind up wind back the clocks because i think in order for us to have a good understanding of where you're at with food now and your relationship with food and everything you do to to do with food it's important for us to kind of understand your childhood and how mm. you grew up and your kind of experiences of food when you were younger okay um food in my childhood was always a family affair like my mum would make a sunday roast dinner every sunday and like a roast chicken with potatoes and veg. Um, we're a working class family, so food was simple. It's like pies and mash and, you know, Irish stews and stuff. My mum's Northern Irish, my dad's Greek Cypriot. So it's sort of a fusion between the two. Um, and it was just simple and it was good, but it was there. And we would we would eat as a family at the table and we would eat together. Three times a day? Yeah, pretty much. We'd all have breakfast together. We'd all have... Well, we'd have lunch at school and at college and whatever. Um, but we'd all have dinner together. My dad was a firefighter, so we worked shifts. So he wasn't always there for dinner. But when he was, he ate with us as well. And were you, was it something that you kind of, you always enjoyed? Were you, were you a fussy eater? Or did you kind of just not really think about it? Um, I didn't really think about it for much of my childhood. I had a bit of an odd relationship with food as a teenager. Um, but I, for most, much of my childhood, it was like we ate what we were given and that was that. And then when did you, when did it all kind of start to change? I mean, I guess you just mentioned there that it was a bit odd when you were a teenager. Was that kind of, was that like a negative relationship or how did it change? Well, it was a negative relationship. I um, I had an eating disorder as a teenager. I went to an all-girls grammar school. I was under a lot of pressure and that manifested itself with a, a slightly... Um, difficult relationship with food but um i'm well over it now so you were working um at a fire service call station Mm -hmm. um and you you really enjoyed it it was a good you were enjoying that job yeah i loved that job i really loved my job and then you had a baby and everything changed can you talk us through that time 
Yeah, I just couldn't work the shifts anymore. Um, so it was two days, two nights, no 15-hour night shifts. Um, and it's quite difficult when you've got a newborn to find people who will look after them for 15 hours, nights, two nights in a row. Um, and my childcare arrangements started to fall apart. And so I had to leave my job because I couldn't, I couldn't commit to my shift system anymore. Um, and so I found myself out of work for about 18 months to two years. And you, it's not like you weren't looking for work. You applied for every job going, right? Yeah, I applied for about 300 jobs in that time. Um, and I didn't get any of them. So <laughs> it was, um, yeah, it was, it was a difficult period. I guess it, everything changed because suddenly you had to cook on a massive budget because presumably you wanted to give your child the best food that you possibly could. Yeah, I had I had to I had a really small budget for cooking um and for a while I didn't really cook at all. I ate ready meals. I would just sort of he would eat and I wouldn't eat um because I'd fallen out of love with cooking because I didn't have I no longer had the choices that I used to have about what I could buy in the supermarket and what I could, you know, my my whole sort of culinary repertoire was reduced down to what I could get at the food bank so I fell out of love with cooking um for quite some time and then I just sort of got back into it again there was no lightning bolt moment I just gradually took my cookbooks that I had started to change the recipes to suit what I could get from the basics and value ranges at the supermarket and sort of it was like learning to cook all over again what kind of recipes did you find the most helpful at this time and what kind of switches did you make in order to make it affordable for you and your child um I did a lot of stuff from kitchen by Nigella um but I would use like Sainsbury's basics potatoes or like sunflower oil in place of olive oil um, but a lot of the recipes in that book translated quite easily to like and I think people might be surprised to hear that but translated quite easily to stuff that I could cook on a budget on a really low budget um also some bits and pieces from like gordon ramsay's best menu bizarrely it's amazing what you can actually do um like the chili recipe from a girl called jack is actually a gordon ramsay recipe but tweaked to make it budget uh, quite a lot of recipes from that book are from cookbooks i borrowed from the library and just tweaked and was this at the same time that you launched your blog no i'd been writing my blog for a for about a year before that um but it was mostly about local politics so I started to write about food alongside it and it just stayed as a sort of hybrid of food and politics and that's how it's remained it was the food side of it that kind of helped the blog take off exponentially right I think so I think it was a combination of the food and politics um I don't think um, I mean the food side took off and then the politics side caught up and now they're they're neck and neck um when i look at the top 20 posts on my website they're evenly split between 10 recipes and 10 political posts so i think it's they're both quite um an important part of the identity of what i do because you're an activist and your food is your politics and your politics Mm -hmm. is your food right yeah absolutely was it surprising that there was such a kind of gap in the market for what you're now doing cooking on a bootstrap because it's i mean you you're really it's it's your niche it's you're the go-to person for that um were you surprised that there wasn't that person before you i guess when i started one of my friends said to me well why would anyone listen to you like why wouldn't they just pick up a jamie oliver book and i was like because what jamie does is brilliant and i can translate his recipes to make them budget recipes but they're not near the knuckle bottom of the line change down the back of the sofa stuff and that's you know and, and i've lived it so why shouldn't i write about it and me and this friend actually fell out in quite a big way when i wrote my first book because she was so adamant that like that i shouldn't have a platform and i was like oh okay well um bye <laughs> Because that's a bit like most most people who would consider themselves friends would be like, oh, it's so great that you're being listened to. But she just sort of turned quite bitter and very like, oh, well, why should anyone listen to you um, about what you have to say about like food? Because like, actually, I'm a pretty decent cook. And um, and yeah, and, um, we've never patched it up, actually. But that's that's life isn't it sometimes your friendships go sour don't they yeah absolutely I think that I think that's life um but I'm sorry that that happened yeah no I'm I'm content I'd forgotten about it actually until I started to talk about it but I was I was very surprised by it um but people are odd aren't they 
So you've, you're now the best-selling author of three books. Your new book, Cooking on a Bootstrap, is the most accessible book for anyone who wants to cook on a low budget. Mm-hmm. It's amazing, and all of your tips are just incredible. And Thank you. you do things that I would never have thought of, um, which you which you talk about at the beginning of the book. Like you use tea instead yeah, of wine. Yeah, red wine. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? That's amazing. Well, it's, um, I'm autistic, so my brain doesn't work like other people's. It's sort of like it's. I describe it as like you know when your internet browser has about 70 tabs open at any one time and that's my head it's just permanently firing off in a gazillion different directions but one of the things that is good about that is that I'm very literal and that means that my cooking sometimes is quite scientific when I wrote a girl called Jack I got some feedback from people who were like we just don't have half a bottle of wine lying around the house and I was like do you know what that's a completely reasonable point because i like wine so i generally prioritize it <laughs> but other people may not have that same relationship with uh, with wine so they may not have it laying around the house and actually as it happens i've started to or then started to think about other things that i could use in place of booze and cooking because actually it's quite a privileged position to be in even if you're just buying a two pound fifty bottle of tesco red wine to go actually i'm buying that specifically to put in a risotto and so I was like, okay, well, what's the function of this wine in this risotto? Well, actually, part of it's colour, because it looks nice, but most of it's flavour. What's the residual flavour that's left behind after you've cooked that for an hour? It's not booze anyway. You're not cooking it to get drunk off it, because you've cooked all the booze out. It's like a tanniny taste, slightly fruity tannin taste. What else has got tannin in it? Tea. I wonder if this would work. So, and that's how, that's how I arrived at that. And I put, you put, basically sling a tea bag in your beef bourguignon or whatever and i've cooked it for friends who are well-known chefs who are super fussy about their food who and and they could not tell and i was like ha because they because originally they'd all be like oh you can't possibly do that that's never gonna work that's and i love doing that i love taking people's perceptions around food and because i've never been classically trained i didn't go to a cookery school i've got no qualifications in food whatsoever um I don't have to unlearn any rules. I don't have to unlearn any habits. I have no hang-ups about, ooh, I can't do that, because I just go, I'll just give it a go, see if it works. And if it doesn't, no one ever needs to know about it. But if it does, I'll tell the world. But that's what's so refreshing about you. I love how you just, you know, you make mac and cheese in a mug. Yeah, do you know what? And it's great, because then you take it out of the mug and you hold it by the handle and you eat it with a spoon and you've got mac and cheese in five minutes made in the microwave in a mug. And barely any washing up. Yeah, ultimate comfort food, done. If someone couldn't, you know, didn't have the time or couldn't afford to go to a cookery school and and learn the traditional way, what do you think the best way to learn how to cook is now and and how did you do it? Buy my book. (laughs) (laughs) Buy the book. Um, Well, I mean, I learn by deconstructing recipes and rebuilding them. I, I learn by using what I had with the knowledge that I had and sort of mashing the two together. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. And so I think there are a lot of different ways for people to learn to cook nowadays. I mean, I basically was self-taught off the BBC Good Food website. It's so good. I'd say go there. (laughs) Um, But, you know, there's YouTube videos, there's places like my blog where you can just type in ingredients that you've got in the cupboard and it'll come up with recipes for you. It's like there there are so many different resources out there to learn to cook. Um, I was asked once if I wanted to do a year-long diploma at a cookery school, um, quite a well-known one, and I looked it up, it was £24,000 for the year. And I was like... And I looked through the, like, the curriculum, and I was like, I can do all that. Like, what, 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 what am I missing? Like, all right, I can't make a souffle, but I bet I could if I tried. I, just, I don't know that I can't, I've just never tried. And there's a lot of stuff that, that I'm just like, but I, I learned all that. I know it. I don't need someone else showing me how to make a white sauce or a roux or knead a loaf of bread or whatever because I taught myself how to do it. And I could do it. And, and now I teach other people how to do it. And it's sort of, yeah, I just think that there are so many routes to learning to cook nowadays that pretty much anyone could give it a go. And I think it's so important for us to have that kind of easily accessible um material i am now inspired to make bread after (laughs) reading your book and i never have been before but you make it seem really easy which it is it is really easy people have been doing it for literal centuries like bread is like anyone can make bread 
because back in the olden days everyone did make bread it wasn't like and that's the trouble is that we've elevated cookery to being this special skill and it's like no some of us are really good at it you know and some of us are you know have got and there are people out there who have got such amazing culinary talents you know they make foams and gels and all sorts of weird and wild things but actually the majority of cookery is just really really simple Mm -hmm. i think the trouble with instagram and television cookery shows and everything these days is that it's made it all look inaccessible and difficult and mysterious and actually it's really simple bread is really super simple it basically makes itself surely there's a tv show with you at the front of it on its way i just i need i need it we're, we we need it we need you to have a tv show and to be making showing your skills with tea instead of wine and macaroni cheese mugs and i am in the process of putting something together at the moment that i can't say any more than that one but leave that in as a tease okay awesome i'm so pleased to hear that do these tricks you know that you that you develop really innovative tricks are they things that you kind of lie awake at night thinking about are you constantly experimenting and constantly coming up with all of these creative ideas yeah i'm constantly on the go i'm constantly on the go i will wake up bolt upright in the middle of the night and be like write things down next to my bed and stuff i'm just i'm just it doesn't switch off for me i'll be standing in a queue in a cafe like mentally making notes of all their cakes and thinking i could do a version of that i could do a version of that everything i eat i try to i'm trying to recreate mentally to like file somewhere in my head to put away i've got like literally hundreds of notebooks at home i am a machine of like because i like to eat and i like to explore and i like i am an i am a creative person and it's um yeah there's so much stuff that i've never published that is just like i've got 10 books in me yeah and it's just like and that's without having a further thought in my head it's like it's um it can be exhausting but it's also really exciting like what a privilege to be able to do something i genuinely love and be able to pay myself a living wage to do it does it feel like does it feel like work no yeah god it's exhausting (laughs) i mean i work like 90 hour weeks so yeah it is definitely work but i mean you boil it down and it's basically eating isn't it cooking and writing and writing and writing and writing and writing and traveling and talking and cooking and eating but there's a there's a clear there's a clear mission and a really important mission and yeah it's to teach people to cook that's it the best that they can with all that they've got that's and that's it your focus slightly switched a few years ago Mm -hmm. um you decided to cook more predominantly vegan food yeah i remember reading an article that you wrote on the guardian mm-hmm. um about this decision and i shared it with my family whatsapp group because you the way you put it just really resonated with me mm-hmm. and you're such a good writer i just thought Thank i just you. said to my family can you guys read this because jack's putting it in a way that better way than i ever could what was the decision to switch to a more kind of plant focused way of living and way of cooking well Firstly, um, because that's what I that's what I wanted to do and it's something I wanted to do as a child and as a teenager and I finally just sort of decided actually I want to do it but because I when I wrote a girl called Jack, half the recipes in that were vegan because by virtue of not having very much money, um uh, beans, pulses and lentils were cheaper than buying chicken and beef. Um and so I started to so I only ate meat and fish two days a week anyway so it wasn't that much of a jump to start creating more vegan and vegetarian recipes um i've taken a slight step back not personally but professionally because a lot of the families that i work with and a lot of the people that i work with they're not ready to take that leap and i'm not here to preach to anyone about it so while i think about 90 percent of the recipes i do are vegan and vegetarian i do also cater for other people's diets and needs that aren't my own and and i think people cooking my recipes will be cooking predominantly vegetarian and vegan diets anyway because of the nature of the work that i do so i'd rather that like most people went mostly vegan than like a small handful of people were like really hardcore about it because i think that overall that's a better like benefit environmentally for animal welfare um, and makes it more accessible and less terrifying to people i think so i feel a lot better for it but i also feel good for not turning my back on my core readership as well by continuing to do 
recipes and i get a bit of um flack for it um from the vegan community really yeah because they're like oh well you're not real vegan you're cooking with fish and stuff and i'm like well but you know what then it's because you know 95 percent of my readers aren't vegan and i need to kind of fill their bellies as well as yours so yeah so and my son when he was about seven we came home from school and he was like mama i don't want to have the vegetarian school dinners anymore so i had to start cooking meat and fish again for him because i'm not going to force him to adopt a lifestyle that he doesn't want because yeah. he's old enough to have his own agency over what he puts in his body so i'm writing a completely vegan and vegetarian cookbook at the moment and i'm actually quite nervous about it um because i think that there's, there's so much sort of expectation that comes with those labels that people are very like i get people posting that they're disappointed in me if i cook my son a sausage and i'm like sorry i guess for feeding my kid it's like i find it but i mean i really love doing plant-based food because i i find it really exciting it's challenging it's colorful it's tasty it's really good and i really really enjoy it i just wish it was a bit less politically weighty than it is sometimes do you think it's going in that direction do you think it is going to get less politically weighty as the years go on i think more people are embracing like flexitarian eating and more people are embracing plant-based eating as a part-time thing so rather than being a full like lifestyle commitment it's kind of a oh i'm gonna try this falafel burger it looks good and it's like that's what we need is it to be a less a less sort of all or nothing thing it's like i think you the saying is you catch more flies with honey than vinegar and i'm like i was never about converting people to veganism with pictures of slaughterhouses so i was more like hey look at this great cauliflower curry i made and it's like and i, and I continue with that i'm like i don't want to talk about all that actually i, I want to because we all know that like animal welfare is grim all the way across the industry what i want to do is instead tempt people over with like bean curries and stuff and there are plenty of people doing, you know, the preachy stuff and they're doing it yeah, well. And they're... and they're doing it well and they're brilliant and they're they're much better at it than I am. And I'm like, I'm just going to sit over here and make some pakoras. Thanks for your time. <laughs> so the nervousness that you have around writing this book, is that kind of altering the way, I don't know, the language that you're using? Um, how is it? Yeah. How is that kind of translating onto the page? Oh, it's fine. It's just it's the same as everything else that I do. It's just like, this is what I do. This is who I am. If you don't like it, you don't have to read it. It's like, I'm trying to make it fun and accessible, but without telling anyone, this is how you must live your life. Because I'm very, even with with all my books, I've never gone for a preachy tone. I don't do, you must do as I do. I do, this is what I do. And if you like it, here's how you can do it too. It's never like, well, you'd be healthier if you just ate this or you'd be, you'd have more money if you just cooked like this. I'm just a bit like, nah, this is what I do. And if you like it, you can, you can follow some of it. And what I also love is like, oh, if you don't have this spice, that's fine. Maybe use this one. Yeah, I'm not, I'm I'm not, I'm very, people have a conception, I think, that I'm quite, because I'm quite shouty on Twitter. I think people think that I'm kind of like bossy and aggressive and I'm actually quite chilled. I'm like, well you could just cook what you like when you like with what you like and i'll help you if you like it's like it's, it's quite i'm quite laid back about the whole thing and i think part of that is why people do find my work accessible because it's not you know so many um celebrity chefs and stuff like you must use the finest grade of this or this virgin olive oil or this particular vinegar or this and i'm just like have some oil have some vinegar there you go there's some stuff make some stuff out of it and it's it's um, it's just easier, isn't it, to be less prescriptive about everything. And you're just going to get more people in the kitchen. Yeah, hopefully. Um, can we talk about privilege and food as privilege? Yeah. And I'd also love to talk about um, the misconception around vegan cooking, that it's more expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I have a, a quote to read that you said in an okay. interview. And you said... Having choices around the food you eat is a privilege. Not having to shop exclusively from the white labels of the value ranges or raiding the battered old veg at the end of the day at the market is a privilege. Not mentally calculating the pennies difference in every item that goes into your shopping basket is a privilege. And one that millions of people in the UK and across the world increasingly do not have. Yep. It's a brilliant quote. I stand by every word of it. And I think that people don't, um, if people don't, 
understand that, then they're not going to understand what I do. I think I, I, no one likes being told that they're privileged. No one likes being told that the simplest choices that they make are a privilege because to do so confronts the fact that other people do not have that privilege. It confronts that you're on the sort of the the uglier side of the inequality divide, basically. But in order to make food more equal and accessible for everyone, we first have to confront at what do, where we are at on the privilege scale. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Do you think it is more expensive to cook vegan food? Um, I think it depends on it depends on a lot of factors. I mean, you know, gram for gram, pulses and lentils are cheaper than meat, but being able to um, know what to do with them, have the equipment to cook them with, um, access to like cookery knowledge and stuff like that is it's a different kind of expense. So on paper, my vegan recipes are cheaper than my meat-based recipes simply because they're lacking that expensive central product but it's so there is a misconception that veganism is expensive but there's also a misconception that it's cheaper because it's it depends how you approach it basically it's it's a really complicated issue so I try to make my vegan recipes simple easy to cook one pan recipes with things that you can buy in the supermarket to make them accessible but there are a lot of vegan recipes out there that require like really obscure ingredients and you think well actually yes that is a more expensive way of living but if you just do the simple stuff like bean chilies and falafels and stuff like that that's actually you can throw those together at tins and that's not difficult but it's it is difficult I think to experiment your way through that to find something that you enjoy so Mm -hmm. i've tried to do the hard work there and go look all these recipes are great have those instead and they're easy so have those i think unfortunately at the time where veganism came more to the forefront it was also at the time of the kind of new wave of of health bloggers and clean clean eating and inverted commas they kind of happened at the same time yeah and with that came vegan food with charcoal and burned lettuce juice was a favorite of mine over there over the years I was just like what is this oh it's burnt lettuce juice I was like no no, what I don't, is burnt lettuce juice? I just don't. I just don't want it. No one wants it. <laughs> no, no one needs this in their lives. It's just some ghastly nothing for the sake of it. That sounds absolutely horrendous. It was. It was truly the most revolting thing. <laughs> and I was like, but what is it for? Like, what? What are its qualities? none nothing nothing there was nothing to it it was just pointless and just stuff like that just makes me so mad because you're like a lettuce is really yummy like just literally eat it like an apple you just munch on it Mm, yummy lettuce why would you burn it and then liquefy it like just because you can doesn't mean you should (laughs) so i try to steer very clear from all of that nonsense and just make food that tastes good and is easy and it's understandable as well it's like there's no sort of existential crises happening within my recipes they are what they are yeah (laughs) what are your kind of top top tips for cooking on a budget just basically take your favorite recipes and sub things out so um i just knock out anything that doesn't really look particularly relevant so you know you get a recipe that's got a huge long list of spices i only use the ones that have got like the most amount in because you're just like well an eighth of a teaspoon of anything isn't going to make a difference in a recipe really um 
So just re- just basically knock out the excess and swap things out so i swap chicken for white beans beef for black beans or kidney beans and recipes and stuff like that and make it just make it simpler um and you can always um like it's shopping around so um tin tomatoes and tin potatoes are cheaper than fresh and frozen green vegetables tend to be cheaper so although there's a real fashion for like picking stuff up from the market or like having nice fresh beautiful produce actually you can create good meals out of tins and out of frozen food and i think that we've slightly lost sight of that there's something that seems and that is so nourishing about your you know the simple methods that you use in your recipes and and the simple ingredients and you have talked a lot about your mental health over the years Mm -hmm. there's an amazing recipe in your book uh the self-love is it the self-love stew stew, uh with a beautiful poem Mm -hmm. um after the recipe and then picture of the recipe uh, can you tell us about that recipe and, and, and the inspiration behind it and the message in it as well? It's really beautiful. I, I took a picture of it today <laughs> and put it on Instagram because it just, when we're feeling low or we're feeling anxious, there's so much to be said by going through the kind of simple motions of life. Yeah. And cooking yourself something that you would cook for a friend in a, in yeah. a nourishing way is just so good for our mental health. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on that recipe. Yeah, I mean, I, I struggle with anxiety and depression and sometimes even I don't want to cook. And so self-love stew came out of um, a couple of handfuls of nothing thrown into a pot that I didn't have to do very much with because I needed to look after myself better. And I thought, well, this is about the most I'm willing to love myself today. Is literally a couple of handfuls of pre-diced vegetables and some, you know, and some beans chucked in a pot with some tinned tomatoes. And um, but it's just the action of taking time to stand still and take stock and cook for myself, and and then sit down and eat something that's good and good for me and tastes good. Um, is usually the first step to recovering from a depressive episode. So I wanted to put that down in a way that was that was not intimidating, that more like a friend in the kitchen, just taking you by the elbow and guiding you in and going, Come on, you can do this, this is okay, this is just this is just five minutes of your time, you'll feel better afterwards and and it's and so many people, literally hundreds of people have written to me about that recipe, just saying exactly that. It was just like having a friend, like behind you in the kitchen going come on you can do this stroking your arm patting your back going you can you can do this you deserve this you deserve to have nice things look after yourself love yourself and the impact of that one recipe on so many people was phenomenal for me like I just threw it together on Instagram um because I thought that by sharing it people might tell me it was good and I would feel better you know that's I'm I'm quite open about that we're all on social media for our own egos and I am as guilty as anyone else for reaching out to my community when I need a virtual hug and I'm very grateful that they give it pictures of their dogs cats guinea pigs hamsters rabbits virtual cuddles gifts of invisible hugs like i just need to sound a bit grouchy and they're there bombing me with love (laughs) and it's lovely but i also know that that's i'm very lucky to have that so i wanted to kind of share a bit of that back and remind people that no matter how down you are or how matter how blue you feel or how no matter how wrapped up in misery you are that you you still deserve to have good things you still deserve to love yourself and look after yourself and take care of yourself and um and i think that that recipe sort of got that message across in a way that i couldn't have imagined when i put it out there first as a sort of miserable rallying cry (laughs) and yeah people genuinely love it what other things do you do in those moments of need are there any other kind of self self care? I'm not a huge fan of the phrase, <laughs> but it does kind of summarise. I like self love because it was a bit like masturbation, so it's a little <laughs> bit rude. So it's a bit like I liked it a bit better than self care. I was a bit like, there you go. I'm so pleased like, you said that. I thought yeah. that's what it was when I first heard yeah, the phrase. I, know. I was like, here's a stew that's a bit like a wank. There you go, have it. <laughs> it'll make okay. you feel good it only takes five minutes it'll make you feel brilliant um <laughs> there you go 
<laughs> but by the first person who ever said wank on your podcast. Yes. Hey! <laughs> Good. Uh, okay, let's self love. What are yeah. the other self love habits that? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, there's also the ones that I don't like to talk about, but I'll let you in on them and everyone else by default. Um, there's the pot noodle that you can actually double because you you basically make a pot noodle. My favourite is at Bombay Bad Boy, but stick a tablespoon of peanut butter in it and a load of mixed frozen veg, and it still just takes two minutes. To, it's about three minutes because frozen veg comes in cold, but you just pour the frozen veg into the top of the pot noodle and then top it up with boiling water and then stir it through with like peanut butter. And what you've actually got is like a pretty good like satay flavoured ramen, and you don't feel bad about eating a pot noodle because it's full of vegetables. It's like literally half veg. But what you do with that is you make it so large, you can put it in the fridge and have it for your breakfast again the next day. So what you've done is basically you've halved the calories in your pot noodle and your fat content and you've filled it up with vegetables. And it's also still just taken two minutes in a boil of a kettle. You're like, well, there you go. There's, so, yeah, the pot noodle is a... Is, um, is a, I've always got about three in my cupboard at any one time. And I remember one of my friends finding them once and it's though she'd found, like like a stash of porn or something she opened it she was like you've got pot noodles in your kitchen cupboard and i was like yeah let me tell you about those i use those in a recipe <laughs> she's like of course you do and cereal as well i think there's a lot to be said for like cereal like at the end of a day when you just can't be bothered to cook for yourself but you still need something to go to bed with i am a massive fan of a bowl of sugar puffs before i go to bed like, Gosh, yeah. And I went through such a big cereal phase where I'd have dinner early because I eat with my son and he's eight, so we eat about six. And I'd be working into the night and it'd be about half nine and I'd be like, still hungry. Can't really be bothered to do anything. And I'd just have a bowl of cereal before I went to bed. And I was like, yeah, I'm I'm not one of these no carbs after 5 p.m. people. I'm like, fill myself up and go to sleep. <laughs> That's what I like to do. But those are all valid acts of self-love as well. It's like feeding yourself. Like cereal's pretty good for you. It's like, it's not the worst thing you can eat. And and that's and it's a valid way of taking care of yourself. You're like, well, actually, I've eaten. I've eaten something that's good. It's it's comforting. Like, it makes me feel like a kid again, like noshing on a bowl of Frosties or something. I'm aware that I'm naming unhealthy cereals here, but I'm just like, do you know what? Mm, Frosties, Frosties, nice. You know what? <laughs> shreddies for me. And shreddies. Then, uh, shreddies, and then in the microwave. Cinnamon Grahams is my one. Oh. I like them hot. Cinnamon Grahams in the microwave. And when I was a kid, I used to like cocoa pops, but with banana milk on. Banana Everyone milk. looks really shocked at that. It's like chocolate and banana. It's such a classic combination. My mum was like, she would just be like, can I get banana milk for the cocoa pops? And she'd be like, oh. <laughs> So you were such a flavour connoisseur, even as a young... Yeah, it's like at the age of 10, I think like my parents thought I was a bit of a tosser actually, but I would be like... I was I would always be putting like extra butter on my potatoes and salt and pepper on my dinner and stuff and uh, <laughs> I remember sitting down with a Sunday roast and my mum would be like where are you going and I'm like I'm just going to get the pepper she's like and I, I get now actually if anyone tried to over season anything that I cooked I'd be furious I'd be like I have made that I have seasoned it exactly as it's meant to be enjoyed and there's me as like a precocious little 12 year old shaking pepper on my roast potatoes like mustard I was a massive fan of mustard as well I'd eat English mustard out of the jar i was like i've always been like a super like flavor hungry person and like you know my parents are good cooks but they were like classic english food so i was like coming along behind them with pepper and mustard like yeah <laughs> uh you're very vocal on social media and i love just now how you talked about you know the community that you've harbored and and what they give you mm-hmm. um do you also equally find it important to take breaks from it for your mental health yeah i've got a little yellow nokia 3310 you don't i have um i have i don't have it with me because i've lent it to my son at the moment um and i'm getting it back tonight and i'm so like i want it back i want it back where did you get that and when and how well they sell them again in shops now they're about 35 quid um and they're brilliant they still have snake on and everything they can't connect to the internet and so it literally i've got 10 people's phone numbers on it no one from work it's just like close friends and family and it texts and it calls and i play snake on it on the tube and i just sit there with it and when i need to disengage from social media i leave my mobile phone on my work desk plugged in just sits there next to my computer and i'll go out with this little yellow nokia 
and I'll do it for weekends, I'll do it for evenings, I'll do it whenever I need a break. I literally just go, if anyone needs me, they can get in touch on this. And friends know, if they text me on my phone and I don't text back quickly, they know to go to the bat phone. And it's, it's my little bat phone. And I was so paranoid that I would lose it. I've got two. So I've got like a decoy one and an ordinary one. I love this so much. Yeah, it's really good. I absolutely love I absolutely love it. And I'm so... I wrote about it actually on my blog. Um, about like I gave up my smartphone for Nokia 3310 and completely changed my life. And then loads of like little articles popped up in like the Metro and stuff. Other people were like, why am I disconnecting from my smartphone? And I'm like... I did that first. <laughs> I, me, I did that. I started this. I didn't start it, obviously, because I got inspired by someone else to do it. But I was like, I want credit for being cool. Like, and I did have a Fitbit, and I've swapped it for like a Casio calculator watch. And oh, I God, am gradually watch. disconnecting and and learning to compartmentalize. I'm like, I'm at work. This is my work phone. I am not at work. This is my like. This is my. It's like a home phone. I love so, that. And I'm getting, a, I'm getting a landline. I've got a landline. I just need to get a phone, but I'm waiting for it to turn up. One of my um, friends is an engineer and he likes to take things apart and put them together again. And I have given him my <laughs> old Fisher-Price phone from when I was a kid and told him to make it work as a phone. So he needs to dismantle a phone and like ram it into this Fisher-Price phone so that I can have an actual working Fisher-Price phone in my hallway. <laughs> I'm such a nerd. I love this so much. But it was really like the little plastic toy phone that everyone had, but mine will actually work as a phone. Oh my gosh, I love this. Yeah. But it's so... <laughs> being, but being online for you is so integral to what you do. Yeah. But I love that you're kind of like creating these two worlds. Yeah, I think it's really important to... I find that the work that I do is so all-consuming, if I allow it to be. But I find that actually... I am better when I'm not burnt out. So I found a book about six months ago called The Art of Active Rest. And it was about basically disconnecting, going for long walks, not doing anything. And I was like, no, I work 90 hours a week. I can't do this. I can't do this. Like, I can't, I can't, I can't switch off. And I've had to learn to switch off. And it's really hard sometimes and it's really hard to consciously go, I'm going to go for a walk and I'm going to leave my phone at home. But when I come back from that walk, I am so full of ideas. Everything's settled. Everything's prioritized. Everything's filed. Everything's mentally shifted. And I find that to me, that used to be cooking. I'd get in the kitchen and I would cook and that would be my switch off. And now cooking is my, I've got to write that down. I've got to make notes that I've got to keep notes. That I've got to weigh everything in case I blog about it. I've got to photograph every stage of everything that that is no longer really a relaxing experience. So I've had to find something else. So if I ever start blogging about like my long walks, just all intervene and go, no, this is your rest thing. Don't make this a work thing as well. So it's why I kind of, I try to do, and obviously I do find cooking relaxing sometimes and I do find, but because it's now such an active, creative activity and it's my work, I have to be 100% engaged and switched on it all the time. So now I just take myself to long rambling walks like, and I had to get the bat phone because my friends started to go a bit, get a bit worried about me because they were like, you've, you've disappeared again. And I'd be like, oh yeah, sorry, I was just roaming around the woods on my own. And they're like, can you not do that, please? Because I'm so active on social media. When I go quiet, once I didn't tweet for 48 hours and someone literally reports me missing to the police. You're kidding. You're <laughs> I kidding. was like, I'm, I just wasn't tweeting. I was like, which is why when I, when I decide to have a break from Twitter, I know people keep saying, oh, I leave Twitter every five minutes. And I'm like, no, but when I decide to have a break, I do now feel duty bound to say, I'm not going to be around for a little while because someone literally called the police and reported me missing. Like, I'm sure that they were probably like being overly concerned. But I was like, is that, is that really where I'm at? Like people genuinely think that I've vanished if I don't tweet for two days. So now I'm... I, I try to give people fair warning if I'm going to disappear. I am going to invest in a Nokia 3310. Please and, do. And that can be the phone that I take when I go on my, my long walks yeah. around London, but I'm still slightly concerned about my safety and I need to yeah. keep my mum happy with where I'm at. Back to you on that last five days. Five days. 
and it's glorious and it's just it's so fun as well it's so jolly it's literally luminous yellow it's like a little canary in my pocket oh and it's and it's so great i sit there on a tube playing snake and people will literally be craning their neck to look at this person who's come from the 90s it's like <laughs> with my casio watch and my thing they're like are you a time traveler <laughs> i'm like no did you see the latest episode of home and away <laughs> just off to have a pot noodle guys yeah just off to have a pot noodle with spice girls album is <laughs> that's it that's me just literally deliberately not growing up <laughs> i think you're gonna start a revolution with that i really really do i'm glad i got mine before they were doubling price then. <laughs> how would you feel about a quick fire round yeah okay quick fire with jack breakfast lunch or dinner dinner tea or coffee tea tea or hot chocolate tea porridge or pancakes oh porridge pancakes curries or stews curry sunflower oil or olive oil sunflower oil full english or sunday roast sunday roast lemons or limes lemons garlic or ginger garlic paprika or cumin paprika wine or beer beer self-love stew or unfuckupable wholemeal pizza dough self-love stew it's easier Cakes or cookies? Oh, neither. Hmm. Not really a fan. Marmalade or Marmite? Marmite. Cooking or Cooper the Cat? Cooking, but he tends to involve himself. (laughs) Twitter or Instagram? Twitter. Chocolate or nut butter? Nut butter. Talking or taste buds? Taste buds. That was pretty good. <laughs> I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I'd love to know what your three essential kitchen utensils are. Um, my hands, a wooden spoon, and a mixing bowl. No one's ever said the hands. <laughs> They're kind of essential. <laughs> they are absolutely essential. And what about your three kitchen essentials in terms of ingredients? Chopped tomatoes, salt, and lemon. This is just wafting off. <laughs> Uh, sorry we're not quick firing anymore no not anymore <laughs> oh, okay, but <laughs> sorry <laughs> i'm here for it okay <laughs> penultimate question that i ask everyone is what feeds your soul and this is something that's kind of non doesn't have to be food related but something an experience or something that just makes you feel uplifted music all kinds of music every kind of music i've got i'm obsessed i've i have to work with music on i go to sleep with music on i have music in my ears nearly all the time it's just it's so it's it, I, it can dictate my mood and it's everything from classic fm to swedish house mafia to grime so i I'm, i don't have a genre that i like i like all music like all of it what were you listening to on your way on your way to, into london today uh, kiss fm <laughs> ah nice <laughs> yeah but um so different rooms in my house have different radio stations and i have classic fm in my um, bedroom i have heart in the kitchen i have kiss in my office so i'm i'm very like and then um i tend to keep like a political channel on the television in the lounge so if i ever come in and sit down and watch tv it's usually bbc parliament or something knowing what you said about your brain earlier this is all making sense yeah, like lots of different things going yeah. on. And my Spotify playlists are basically bath, bed, running, noise, going out. It's like, depending on what mood I want, it's depending on what. Do you so enjoy? Do I have you... one for photo shoots as well, which was got me in a bit of trouble the other day because it was quite explicit. But I was like, this is what makes me feel sexy. And they were like, ah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah. Because you need that kind yeah, of. Yeah, because you're just standing in a silent room and they're like, yeah, so pose, pout, pose, pout, lift your shoulders up. And I was like, can I just stick Blondie on? Thank you very much. <laughs> what about dancing? Are you into dancing? Um, not where anyone can see, but yes, very much so. <laughs> it's good for the soul, it's the old brilliant. dancing. I just romp around my house, just sort of like jiving. It's just fine. It's great. I kept saying to my other half that I wanted my first dance song at our wedding to be, um, the, do you love me? Do you love me now that I can dance? That one with like the mashed potato and I can do the twist. And she's just like, no. And I'm like, but it will be fun. <laughs> she's like, no. <laughs> Keep trying. Yeah, I know. I'm just like, but, but but it's my day as much as yours. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And finally, what is your death row dinner? Starter, oh. main and dessert. So I'm asked this a lot and I've only got one stock answer really because now I've said it, I have to keep saying it. Um, but I think I would eat my own leg. <laughs> your face is a picture. Um, because I'm, I think I'd be quite tender, like a good pork belly. 
um, because my le- my thighs are quite fatty and they're quite soft, and also because I'm a bit curious to know what I would taste like. So if I was going to die anyway, I think I would just roast that baby up with a load of sage, rosemary, salt and pepper and stick it in the oven at 180 degrees. It's a pretty big leg, so it'd take quite a while, but I would be very curious to know if I taste as good as I think I do. Any sides? I don't think I need them. Have you seen the size of my leg? <laughs> Not yet, but I'll have a little look when we finish the interview. <laughs> It's it's that it's just I said it once as a joke in an interview and, I, and the more I think about it the more I'm like I think I'd be quite yummy, but um, this is not an open call for cannibalism and and no one else is allowed to eat my leg just me in these very specific circumstances. And you know what? That's still <laughs> vegan technically, isn't it? Well, no animals will be harmed. <laughs> what a brilliant way to end, Jack. Thank you so no much. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave me a five-star review and subscribe if you're not already. I would love to have you back each and every week. Links to my brilliant guests are always in the show notes and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Venetia Falconer to let me know who you'd like to hear as a guest on the show. Have a wonderful day and I will see you next week for a brand new episode of Talking Taste Buds. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details.